And now, a real story from a real soldier. It's the Soldier Stories Podcast on Facebook and Twitter at Podcast Soldier. This week's Soldier Story begins. All right, and it is time for part two of the story of Aaron Heckel. And Aaron is a member of the 2127 Army National Guard, the Red Arrow Division. Aaron, welcome back for part two of Telling Your Story on the Soldier Stories podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's go ahead and refresh everybody. Basically, you had done your first tour in Kuwait. Correct. You came back, and it wasn't long after you got back. You had enough time to meet your future wife and get re kind of introduced to uh, civilian life, even though you were still an active military member. Yep. Uh, but you got called up for something quite interesting, and that was Border Patrol. So where did you actually have to go for Border Patrol? It was called OJS, but it was Operation Jumpstart. That's what they called it. But uh, it was in Arizona. So you get the call about this, and <laughs> we were we were all just like weirded, like, okay, is this really happening? Like, we're going to border patrol. <laughs> was there a reason that they decided to call on you guys to do this? Was there anything specific happening? Was it getting bad in that area? They just needed uh, additional security. Uh, like, there's so many points out there that people can just come in easily because there's only so many border patrol agents. So, is there any special training that you had to go through to do this, or is this handled as military? As as this military, we just sat there once we got. I can't remember. I think we flew into Phoenix, but then we lived in Tucson, but then we worked in Nogales. So they put us up in this hotel. And how long were you on border patrol? Three weeks. It was three, three weeks. It was like you're like in the Army National Guard is one week in a month, two weeks a year, they say. But it was this one, it was another three weeks when we were down there. What interesting things happened while you were on border patrol? Because again, <clears throat> this is... An open area. Lots Correct. of people cross at all times of the day. Yep. So actually in Nogales, the area that we were at, there was just like one main road that we came in. and uh, But we were like on a high point, like on a, it was almost like a sand hill. But uh, I mean, some of the cool stories, like we had the old like Ford Bronco trucks, your diesel trucks. We all rode in those. Now were these military, military issues? Ones. So yep. they were camouflaged? Oh yeah. Okay. And like I said, so I mean, the thing that sucked, we were on 24 hours. We had to be out at the point and we had, uh, I think it was six people at each point. So I mean, two man people up at a time. We did, we were pulling like four hour shifts. And did you apprehend anybody trying to illegally enter? We were not able to. We just had to call on the radio. I mean, I mean, we had all the night vision. We had thermal sites. We had all the cool things. So your job was more to monitor and report. And Correct. then they let Border yeah. Patrol agents handle the actual apprehension. Correct. And like, so from that main road, from Nogales into the main highway, like walking wise, I think it was like, I can't remember how many miles it was, but it was like 25, 30 miles. And it would take like a full day trip of some of these undocumented people to come in and uh, seeing them getting caught on the highway. It's like, ooh, that really sucks. So let's talk about what you observed while you were there. Would you say you observed a large quantity of people? There was all the time, but I mean, there was like truckloads, but uh, Border Patrol was always like kind of in the area. So, but there was a lot of scouts. There's like hills and all that stuff in that area. What would be the largest group of people you saw trying to enter together? Uh, It was like one of those old like Congo truck vans. It was about 15, 20 people. Wow, and they just stuffed them in the back. Yeah. I mean, there was like a checkpoint there, but we weren't allowed to really go that close. Like, we were just up on a hill, but with binoculars and thermal sights, we were able to see them. How weird is it to go from being activated and over in Kuwait, coming home, becoming a civilian again, but not really because you're still in, but again, it's National Guard, and so you are activated just on a weekend basis at times, and now you're doing border 
patrol. Yeah. So like I said, uh, all of us, we were kind of mad because we were like, we just got back like last year, summer. Like, why in the heck are we getting this kind of a call? But we're like, well, I guess it's three weeks of money. I mean, active duty pay wasn't that bad. And it, no, that's what you signed up for, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I mean, we were like, okay, so let's roll with it. I mean, then, I mean, some of the other cool stories, we had some guys that uh, one of the guys, his dad was a captain of the uh, game wardens. So, I mean, he was very handy. We made like a, a like a live catch box. So we we caught like rats and stuff. Then you would walk them around with 550 cords. Huh. Like we would walk them around. So you had pets. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not my favorite kind of pet, but okay. <laughs> then, uh, then, then we also had like tarantula fights. Like we would... We would bet money, like, we would put them all, like, into a box and watch them fight. Okay, I'm uh, not going to Arizona. <laughs> Rats and tarantulas. No, thank you. Yes, I mean, that was some of the cool stories. I mean, the one of the coolest stories about the hotel, can't remember what week we were in there, but Bone Thugs and Harmony was there. Really? Dead serious. All and, right, uh, now, wait, I've got to <clears> talk about this real quick. Uh, big fan of Bone Thugs growing up. They are a rap group, and yep. honestly... Like what is 95, 96, 97, they exploded. Those, yeah. And so they were in town. They were at your hotel? At the hotel. So there was actually like this older limo. We're like, okay, who is this? Like there was like, I think there was like three or four really good looking women all dressed up way, way too fancy. Okay. And then all of a sudden we seen like three dudes walk out. And uh, one of the other guys recognized one of the singers. We're like, dude, that's Bone Thugs. We all got to shake their hands and say hi to them and stuff. Get photos? Ah, my Motorola Razor, that thing's junk. It's a weird world we live in now where <laughs> our phones are just really nice. You can take great photos. Like yeah. back then you had to be carrying around a uh, throwaway camera. Yeah. You know, and it was just one of those things, the disposables, yeah, we didn't have those. Okay, so Bone Thugs stayed at the hotel. Yeah. That's, that's really cool, man. So, I, mean, I mean, that was the coolest thing probably about OJS. Yeah, it's kind of neat. So you did that for three weeks. Um, has that changed your views on border security having been there? Because it's a big debate it's, right now. A lot of people are arguing on whether or not the resources are being allocated there. Having been there, witnessed it yourself. It, it's out of control, to be honest. It really uh, is. I mean, no political by any means, but personally, I think it's out of control. I mean, there's- well, you witnessed it. You yeah. saw them coming in by the truckloads. Truck yeah. And I'm not a political person. I don't like to talk politics, but I'm very curious yeah. as far as what you witnessed firsthand. Did you have different views before and after? Before, I, I, well, I wasn't really worried about it. Didn't much. think about it. I didn't think about it, yeah. So you would say your views have changed after witnessing it, seeing it firsthand, kind of somebody who didn't think about it to we really need to make sure that we have tight border security. That is very, very correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you were there for three weeks. Um, I assume in that time uh, you, you did what you were supposed to. You got paid and now it's time to go home. So does that put you back? Because I know when we talked on the previous podcast, you were considered um, National Guard. You were not activated, but yep. you were activated because a soldier had been killed and they needed a replacement soldier. My first appointment, yeah. So that was on your first deployment. Now, when you go back, are you back to the non-active... Um, yep, just your title. One. Correct. Okay. And then um, you go home. How long are you home before you get called up as active again? From OJS, that was 2007. So then it was 2000, end of 2008. Now, by this time, <laughs> you and your girlfriend, who is now your wife, how long are you together? I met her. I came back in August of 06 for my first deployment. We started dating in September of 06. Okay. So by the time you're going back for your second deployment, it's almost two years? Correct. And when you got the call that you were going back, was this a 
your entire unit was activated? Correct. All right. And how did that news um, affect your relationship? Uh, not really. We did get engaged, but uh, so her uncle, I mean, technically not her uncle, but her, her stepdad's best friend was in our unit too. She kind of like knew like what the feelings were about it, like being away and stuff. She knew this was a possibility. Yeah. Yep. I mean, she liked the man in uniform and, you know, 19-year-old young-looking stud. I mean, now I got the dad bod, but besides <laughs> the point, uh, it was uh, she. She knew things could happen, and then it did. Uh, we knew that I we got engaged. Uh, her dad was really sick prior to me leaving. Kind of sucked because I wasn't really able to help out and do a whole lot. But the thing that was, uh, we did get engaged, but we wanted to do an actual wedding. Like, if we're gonna get married, we're only gonna do it once. We're do not it gonna, right. We're gonna do it right. So I mean, we only got engaged prior of me leaving. Uh, but when I was overseas, her dad did pass. It kind of, kind of sucked really bad. Sure. You want to be there for somebody but, when uh, they're going through something yeah, like that. My, uh, since I was technically not married, I was not able to come home. Uh, uh, but they did give me like two days off where I was able to, uh, I mean, 2009, 2010, we were able to use Skype. We were able to, able to talk, but it still was not like the same. But okay. at the same time, like I still give all the props to like the Vietnam vets to, cause letters, trying to keep your mind over there, like your mindset to you're over here, you're in the game, things could happen, but trying not to worry about stuff at home it throws a curveball. Well, let's go back to finding out that you were going back. Was there a specific reason that they had to activate your entire unit? So it's just a bigger rotation, just like uh, like how our unit got, is that actually in Afghanistan right now? Uh, the... The replacements, I can't remember, 228, I think they are, they just got alerted or they just got activated. Uh, back in 2005, 2006, there's like just like a big rotation that they do. It's just a matter of time. Well, you know that you're going to get a call sooner or later. So you get that call. It's um, it's time to go back. Comparing it to, before we get into the details of it, comparing it to your first deployment, um, would you say this second deployment was far more dangerous or would you say that it was less dangerous? A lot less dangerous. But uh, in this deployment, we weren't 100% sure what we were doing yet. Okay. So you get the call and you need to report to where? It was to the Marinette unit. And then uh, we got like the official, we got the alert notice and saying, hey, that we might be getting sent. We're like, okay, notify the family. A few months later, then we got our official order saying, okay, we're going to uh, be leaving next year. This was 2008. They're like, end of next year, we're leaving. So a new thing that they were doing was uh, like all your training, like so then you don't have to be at a pre-mob site for six months. They did all the training throughout the year. So we did additional training like every month. Like we did some ex more extended, like another three weeks down at Camp Blanding, Florida, where they pretty much made a base just for the whole Wisconsin 32nd Infantry Brigade. They made a whole base pretty much for us just for training wise. But then, I mean, we were doing like two weekends a month, three weeks a year or six weeks a year. So, so you're I mean, getting your training in before going back. Yep. So it's time to go back. And we went down to Fort McCoy. We flew out of Fort McCoy. Then we flew into Fort Bliss, Texas, which, I mean, I was there. I was like, hey, I know that place. I've been here I've before. I've been there. <laughs> so once I once we flew in, I'm like, hey, there's a PX. I know where, I know where this is at. Isn't that where you bought your first PSP? PSP. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My Sony PSP. Well, was it time to upgrade? Well, at that time, uh, Mama... Had a, we, had, we were kind of strict on our funds because we wanted to, I'm like, hey, we're going to have that dream wedding. All right. I, I, I just told her, hey, the only thing I want is a nice uh, sound system for my car and a nice new phone. Okay. And I got those. Good. 
that but, works out. Like I said, uh, Mama was very happy with so our wedding. when did you actually find out what your mission was going to be? Is it while For, you're still in Texas or after you get there? Pretty much when we were in Kuwait. Once we actually got uh, in Kuwait, that's when we found out, hey, that uh, we're reporting to Camp Taji, Iraq. No, sorry, Camp Buka. Camp Buka. Okay. And where is that exactly located? It's by the Port of Kuwait-ish. Uh, it's not too far right from the border into a Kuwait into Iraq. And Kuwait's relatively a safe zone for you guys. Pretty much, yeah. But the moment you cross that border, it's so weird. It's just like so. Is from, it the Wild West, basically? It must be. Like it's so weird. It's just like a little crick that pretty much divides it. It's so weird. Like I almost think like like they almost have a dome just over them. It's just weird. Like this. It's almost like right when you cross the border, it has like a distinct smell too. Okay, so there's a smell. Describe some other things. Like, what would you what would you describe that smell as? Like, is it you can see the oil fields, smoke. So, I mean, like the worst thing about our first deployment, our first base, I will say, was uh, burn pits. There was burn pits. Uh, I mean, that's a whole nother political thing that they're trying to push right now for us veterans. Like a lot of the stuff, burn pits are just burning garbage. Right, and that's I mean, putting it into the air, and you're breathing yeah. it in. Yeah, I mean, the toxins have to be just horrible. Yeah. So I mean, from there. Uh, we were there for two and a half, three months. Then we got a alert saying, hey, our company's getting split up. Uh, first platoon's going to Camp Cropper. The other platoon's going to Camp Taji. We're like, what? Like, we were mad at first. Like, our company can't get split up. But once we actually got to Camp Cropper, me and my platoon, we actually got uh, attached to some uh, 1127. Can't remember where they were out of. But our first sergeant CEO, our highest chain of command, were both like Rangers, high speed, six foot, five, like 250, 300 pounds, both really big guys but they were the nicest people ever and they're like oh you guys are just gonna be extras here so what does that mean as an extra so they had their set schedule already like they had certain spots so uh camp cropper is a smaller prison base we are prison guards it's a smaller base uh but they had like a lot of the uh like higher end detainees uh so if there was going to be a place that the you know, ISIS or any of those organizations were going to look to do a jailbreak it would be there I'm not sure if they knew that but uh, like like Chemical Ali, he was there. Okay. I know I did not actually get to work in there. I was uh, so some of the jobs like I got to do was uh, uh, security for like a class. Like we taught them Microsoft classes, like basic computer classes. Uh, like a lot of the people over there are not educated at all. Mm-hmm. So we taught them like your basic math, education, spelling, and all that good stuff. But we were just security. Like they had uh, contractors that came in and taught them all this stuff. Uh, but then from there, that was. There, I mean, they taught them wood shop classes, wood skills. I mean, the base was pretty small. Uh, they had like your little Starbucks on there, a little subway. Did you experience anything like so uh, there where they were shooting, you know, shells we, towards we you did guys? get uh, we did get mortared once, but uh, so it was just a flying chunk of metal, like it didn't explode. So we got very, very lucky. So where it actually hit, they actually on one of the walls where there was about three to four hundred detainees in that just that little camp, and yeah, that was that could have been catastrophic. I just remember, uh, I mean, we worked like 16-hour days, and I was a bit huge gym rat at that time. I was taking all kinds of supplements, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get four hours of sleep. Perfect. I'm going to take some sleep aid medicine. I'm going to feel good tomorrow. Well, like 15, 20 minutes later, after I shaved and showered, we got you know, sirens are going off like, oh, is this another test? When our squad leader came in, he's like, guys, get up. We're not sure if this is a test, but we got to get up. Just We'll stand up get our stuff ready. And then uh, he got the call saying, oh, this was real. Like we're okay. Well, we didn't hear an explosion. Like we were pretty sure we would have heard it. But once we got out there, I mean, we got lucky. Like, So was it actual, was it a mortar? And yeah. It just didn't go off? <laughs> Correct. Wow. So it's yeah, just got to be 
insane so, to, uh, to realize how close call of it it was. And from where it hit, I would say roughly, I don't know. I can't remember how many feet, but it wasn't. It was pretty close to our living quarters because the base was pretty small. So, I mean, our living quarters was not too far from there. When you experience something like that, does it put you on edge from that point forward? So, I mean, the prisoners, like, you always had to be on your game. Uh, the weird's weird over there, like, their prison system. Uh, normally, like, here you see the judge within, like, 24 to 48 hours of you getting arrested. Well, over there, there was prisoners in there probably for a year or two. Okay. Never seen a judge. So, one of the other jobs, I got attached to another, uh, if you want to call it, like, a little pod or fob or whatever. It was in one of the prisons in there. We actually had convicts. The people that were sentenced to pretty much life that they, we knew that those were the guys that have nothing to lose. That anytime we were around them, we had to put on all of our gear all the time. Uh, I mean, to even added like face masks because, I mean, they'd spit on you. Then you got to go. Like that was probably one of the worst things that happened. Like I legitly got spit on and it's one of those things they scrub you down to your birthday suit and you scrub up. Yeah, I imagine there's a couple of tests that are run <laughs> oh, on you after that. Yeah. I mean, granted, you get every shot in the book prior of you leaving, but when you're over there and you get that, it's, like I said, you're in your birthday suit there. You got people scrubbing you down. Well, you got to make sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's better to be safe than sorry. So, I mean, so okay, this so, mortar incident, uh, did you ever have any small small arms fire no, that you guys took on that no, base? no. It was just that one time. So in, in this base, then, you guys were lucky enough that it, it was not a target. Correct. That was just like our first base, too, Camp Buka. I mean, but Buka, I mean, that place was so huge. Like, I think it was like a 15, 20-minute ride just in a deuce and a half just to get to the prison. So did you end up another place after? So, yeah, I was at all three prison bases in Iraq. So. Along the way, I know you have a photo that you took <laughs> inside one of Saddam Hussein's Correct. palaces. Now, Correct. where was that at? Uh, that was in Camp Taji, Iraq. And so they built the camp around his palace? So the palace is on like a man-made lake. Like, it's legit. And it's actually on Taji. So that was where I got to go for my third My third base was Camp Taji. But Camp Cropper was not too far away from there. Uh, it was one of those things like on my day off, uh, my team leader knew the guy in headquarters and he gave tours every once in a great, great while. So, I mean, yeah, there's the gold-plated toilet that people talk about downstairs. <laughs> so that's legit. <clears throat> I mean, there's chandeliers. I have all kinds of pictures. I used to have pictures of the chandeliers that were inside. Is it a crazy thing for you to know how poor some of the people are in that country? Pretty much like 99.9% of the people are poor, and you got this guy just living in lavish marble staircases. Taking a dump in gold toilets. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, yeah, I got to sit in his throne. I mean, that's the cool one of the coolest pictures I have that I like to show off to people. Which uh, we'll be posting more photos on the Soldier Stories podcast page on Facebook, also on Twitter. And you'll be able to, to see these photos uh, of Aaron uh, sitting on the throne. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. You can see his baby face from when he went and did basic training uh, between his junior and senior year. So uh, just one of the, the many cool things about this is that you guys are willing to share your photos. Yeah. And, and those go along great with these stories that you're telling. So you stayed at all three bases. How long was your second deployment? It was a year long. So even Fort Bliss, once we got there, like, okay, you guys didn't train us. Or they apparently, all that training we did that year prior, thinking, okay, yep, we're going to get deployed longer, actually overseas longer. They're like, well, the U.S. Army, Army 1 didn't train you guys. So all that training you guys did this last year doesn't count. Like, what? Like all that time away from your extra week and a month to your extra three, four weeks and camp landing in Florida, none of that counted like towards our training. So Wow. 
we're like, well, we collected the money. I mean, to be honest, we didn't mind the money, but we're like, okay, now that's pretty stupid. So, I mean, we were down in Fort Bliss for another three months. Uh, the coolest thing was uh, actually in Fort, when we were down in Fort Bliss again, uh, we got a, like a three-day leave. Flew my fiance at that time. It was actually my golden birthday during my leave. So April 22nd, I got to party it up with some guys. And uh, I mean, we, we had some fun. <laughs> I always hear about the golden birthdays in the military. Yeah. And I always hear that there's a lot of alcohol involved. No. No? Is that just <laughs> <Yes>. a rumor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, what, so, what, what do you think you spent on alcohol that Oh, day? it was more of the other guys that were buying me stuff. And okay. Well, what it was do you very think nice. they spent total on you, all your Enough. friends combined? It was probably a few hundred bucks, probably. Oh, boy. It was, so, I mean, we we first started off, I can't remember what restaurant it was, but then we stayed, then we went to the, the hotel they were at, they had a, like, it was like a horseshoe, but it had a nice pool on in the inside. So, I mean, then we partied up in the hotel lobby, you know, then I uh, got some cool, sweet memories of uh, some, uh, one of the guys with fight, that fought depression when we came home that did commit suicide. Oh. But I uh, got some cool pictures with him, and uh, I mean, we just partied it up. And um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, there was there was like three of us guys. I mean, we went, went on some go uh, go karts, went uh, miniature golfing when you we were all down there. One of the guys rented a rental car, so I mean, we all got together and all just hopped in there. So you got to celebrate. Oh yeah, it Which was is great. It was way too much fun. Then it was kind of sad to say goodbye to my wife again or fiance yeah, at that yeah. time. Back to but back to the sandbox. Yep. So it was kind of nice. So so then I was. From this, from when I left, it was like December, I think it was. So then I remember even like leaving like Fort McCoy, like we were stuck on the f- uh, flight line because it was snowing so bad. But uh, so then we got down to Fort Bliss. Then it was uh, like three months there. Then once we got over the seas, I think it was like March, April time, I got to come home a few months later for my wife or my fiance's birthday in Ju- end of July. So I got to come home for two weeks, which was nice. But then go back overseas again. It's got to be weird to to go back and forth, back yeah. and forth, over and over. It is so nice to see your family, just to get that refresher. But being in the military, you got to have that mindset, especially being overseas. Like things could happen. Like like I said, I love my wife and family and all that stuff, and I loved coming home. But there was a lot of times where I'm like, like our higher leadership. I know they never got to come home, but it was just a matter of uh, timing wise and scheduling wise. Like your lower enlisted soldiers all get picked first. Did you ever carry? Um a photo of your wife or anything when you were out on the field? All the time, yeah. Yeah? Where yeah. did you keep it? It was in my wallet. Keep it in the wallet. Yep. It was like the first thing that I would see. So you get done for the day. Maybe you did a patrol or something. You come back to the base. You relax so, and pull out your photo. We lived in pretty much like a dorm room. Like It was like a big old, like almost like storage shed, but it was like massive. And they all had like little dorm rooms. And we paid like 20 bucks, I think it was, for like Wi-Fi. So I mean, we would all like Skype and stuff and get to see our family, but it was one of those things. Like I purposely, my, my mom didn't have Skype or anything, but like I said, I was a big gym rat and I was like, yeah, I'm taking all kinds of supplements. I'm going to show the family what's up. I mean, <laughs> I used to be ripped. I used to be. Well, the photo where you're carrying the flag, uh, you look pretty built there. Uh, that was actually for the, uh, Peshko fire parade. I can't remember what year that was, to be honest. I think that was probably when I came home from my first deployment or, or a year or two after. Okay. So and, you got even bigger. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. It was one of those things. The wife was very, very happy when I came home. But <laughs> at that time, I knew we were going on a honeymoon. I was like, where are we going to go? Well, we went down to Florida. And I'm like, well, I wanted to rock the six-pack and look nice on the beach. I prefer the keg look. No, yeah. that's I got the dad bod, yo. <laughs> I like my dad bod. 
Now I rock it. So um, with deployment being as long as it was, which again wasn't long in your mind, you said it no. didn't feel like it was that long, but it, it's a good chunk of time. Yep, since it was broken up within like... Do you feel like when you came back for good that it was harder to readjust? Kind of, just because, uh, I mean, like a lot of all of us. So like when we, come, when we came home from our first deployment, like all the guys that I knew, pretty much all them guys got out. And I was like, okay, so now I'm all with brand new guys. Did you sign a longer contract with the nope. Army? No, it was uh, six years. I did six years uh, active, two do... years inactive. You can, there's like four and four okay. contract or there's a six and two. But it was one of those things like in, when you're in the two years of, in, of inactive, it's one of those things that I'm pretty sure they're not going to call you up. So you put in six years total then? Seven. I actually did seven. So when I was actually overseas, my second deployment had a good buddy that joined our unit, the Marinette unit. And uh, so March 31st, that's the new physical year for the military. I wasn't eligible to re-enlist until April 1st. I was like, okay. So the re-enlistment bonus was 10 grand. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to wait till I get overseas. I'm going to get it tax-free. Well, March 31st, they dropped it down to five. I said, nope, I'm done. Ah. So I was all about doing the 20 years. Yep, I'm good. But... So then uh, mid of, I can't remember what month it was, I had, my buddy said, hey, Heckle, I just joined your unit. Okay, sweet, dude, I'll, I'll extend one more year. Once I get back home, I'll show you the ropes. I'll show you all the weapon systems. I did. What do you think out of the two deployments was the scariest part? Like what was the scariest moment you experienced there? Easily by far was my first deployment. I mean, being getting IED explosions, seeing them firsthand, getting shot at. I mean, second deployment, like I said, we got mortared, but but besides that, the worst thing that happened, we got spit on, and I mean, that that sucked. Do you experience now out of the military, if you hear loud bangs and things, does, yes. does it make you react instantly? Oh, yeah, uh, especially like 4th of July. Like, there's like a few times, like, if I was just driving, like, I, don't, I really don't like those, like, really quick flash boom ones. Like, I don't mind the sparklers. Like, no, 4th of July, like, if I'm actually watching the fireworks, I'm fine. But it's still one of those things, like, if I'm driving, it's dark at night, then all of a sudden it goes off. Like I just tense up. I'm sweating. Like hands are gripping on the steering wheel. What do you do to help ease the anxiety that you feel? <clears throat> so recently I've been actually here in Green Bay. There's a place called the Vet Center. Uh, good friend of mine. Well, it's my wife's friend. Her husband is a counselor there. And uh, I was talking with him. And it was just one of those things. Just talked to a few people. But it wasn't that bad. But until I would say about a year and a half ago, then I was starting to fight depression pretty bad. Is a lot of what you experience depression-wise, anxiety-wise, because you go from something where everything you do, there is a reason and a purpose, you're doing it, you're being told to do it by your superiors, to now not really having any direction for you that you have to do? Kind of, yeah. I mean, now it's just, now you just try to live the civilian life where you're not getting yelled at all the time. Like, yeah, like you're not getting direction. Okay, you're going here at this time. Okay. So is um, <clears throat> is depression something that you'll probably deal with for the rest of your life? So I highly recommend veterans reaching out. We are very hard-headed. And coming from a person that almost became a statistic, uh, I mean, when you hear the 22 veterans a day, that's a legit thing. Uh, since I've been home, there's been two people that I personally know that was part of my unit that committed suicide. Are you open to, to things we've talked about off yeah. the air for me to mention? Yeah. I mean, it's all about reaching out. One of the things that you had told me before off off of the podcast uh, last time was there was a moment when you had the guns removed from your house. Yes. Yep. You and knew something <clears throat> wasn't feeling right. Yep. And so you asked that they be removed. Who took the guns? Uh, my wife. She brought them. Uh 
up to the in-laws. Same thing with all the medication, everything. At that time, uh, like I said, the place, there's a place here in Green Bay called the Vet Center. It's just a matter of you just got to go through the counseling. And like I said, we are all very hard-headed and it's helped me out a lot. Like one of the easiest ways to like describe it. I mean, like the lady, I can't remember her name, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, the easiest way, like she described it was like, okay, veterans look at your life, like three quarters full of a, a glass. And then uh, let's say, Hey, you had a bad day at work. Some, some water got splashed in there. Okay. You come home, your spouse is nagging on you. Okay. There's some more in there. Okay. Uh, what are we having for supper? Well, go make a pizza. Okay. You make a pizza, throw it in the oven. It's burnt and it falls. Now your cup's overflowing. Now you're irate. Now you're very, very angry. Okay, now let's say, hey, if you had a bad day at work, okay, you got some splashed in there. Okay, your wife came home or you came home. Your spouse is happy. Kids are happy. What are we having for supper? Oh, go make a pizza. Okay. Okay, it's burnt. Okay, your cup's not overflowing. You're still, you're fine. Let's let's just grab another one out of the freezer. So at the time I was really fighting this stuff was uh, my two-year-old now was, he was pretty sick a lot always fighting ear infections to not sleeping at all. And so when I actually told my wife, she was at work, like I came and said, Hey honey, we need to talk. Like I still kind of remember that day. She was just bawling. Was it in person? In person at her work. Yeah. Uh, talking with my wife and I'm like, Hey, uh, I was holding our two year old and I was like, he was just screaming that night. And, uh, I, I'm trying to be like a real good husband with my wife to, Hey, I'll get up with the kid and I'll help out. And so I was just rocking them and I was like, okay, what if I just do this? What if I just do that? I was like, I can't. The moment you have that thought, is there another part of you that's saying, why are you thinking this? Yes. Or is that part just pushed out of the picture completely and now you're just completely so in this frame of mind? There's like kind of like two steps that my counselor uh, talked about, like doing or thinking about it and planning it. Like there's thinking about it is like, okay, yep, we're thinking about it. But planning is like, okay, this is the way I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it at this time. But me, I was just like, what if I did this? I am a Christian. And it was just one of those things like, okay, like God, like what am I doing wrong? Like what in my head? But it was just like that devil was just speaking in my other ear, just louder. He's like, oh, hey, you can do this. I'm like, no, like there's just one of those things. I'm like, and when I was younger, I really didn't have a father figure. He wasn't really around that much, but he did call every once in a while. But I'm like, I can't be like that to my two-year-old or no. So when you go in for the counseling, they give you exercises. Yep. And uh, so one of the good things is uh, she's like, okay, to lower that cup level, what can you do? What do you enjoy doing? I'm like, well, it's middle of winter. I enjoy fishing. Uh, like uh, I'm a huge fan of the Green Bay Blizzards. Hang out with the guys. Um, buddy was buddy of mine was one of the coaches. So I mean, I, I, me and my two-year-old now, so we go to practices. But it's just one of those things. I'm like, okay, I need to reach out to some of the guys. So here it was, <clears throat> just hanging out with the guys to, I mean, just being stuck at home, work, sleep, hang out with the kids. You just need to get out and talk to other people, talk to other veterans. Like the, all the people there are all veterans at the vet center. But it was this matter, you just need to get out and talk to these people, do find things that, that can lower that level. And you mentioned earlier uh, <clears throat> 22 veterans a day take their lives, which is a staggering number. And it's not talked about nearly enough by media and news. No. It, it really isn't. This is an epidemic. Yeah. This is something that they need help and people need to realize that our veterans need help. Yeah, we could talk about the stuff that happened at the Tomahawk uh, uh, Hospital where people were waiting so long just to see physicians. I'm a fine example. It took a year and a half for me to see a CPAP doctor. I was calling every single month, hey, I need an appointment with my CPAP doctor. Well, a year and a half later, I finally got an appointment. Wow. So, I mean, it's the, the one here in Green Bay is pretty nice, but the issue there 
is uh, they're not, they don't have emergency room, that they're just open eight to four. So, I mean, I had a surgery that had to get done, something that happened to me when I was overseas. I had some scar tissue removed off my body. Uh, they couldn't do it here because they're like, well, if we have any complications, we can't have you stay past four. Wow. And so, I mean, Fox 11 did a uh, news uh, thing on it where they actually talked about uh, all these um, operation rooms there are collecting dust. It scares me to hear just how badly um, some of these situations are and, and knowing how many soldiers might take their lives because something was only open from eight to four. Yeah. I'm disappointed in our country when I hear that. What do you think was the most difficult transition from soldier to civilian life? My wife still, she she thinks it's so funny, but the whole eating slowly or, but the hardest transition, probably just that mindset of just go with the flow and all these days. Like I'm just happy. Like I'm super blessed. I mean, I've got so much in my life now. I just, it's got to be a little much happier, but I mean, when you're in, it's just that mindset. You're hard headed. Your your heart's just ready to for some training to happen. Like I mean, you can go to like we've gone to school for uh, jujitsu stuff. Like I'm always like, oh, what if somebody does this? What if I have to break up someone? Well, no, I'm gonna go with the flow. What kind of support system do you have now? Oh, I have all kinds of friends. Uh, my wife, she's my huge supporter. Uh, I mean, she's a stay home mom now, but now since we got two kids, I mean, plus. Like my two-year-old today, he's a super hyper. And I guess the last, like last, I just did a seven-day stretch in a row of working, 12-hour days. And I just grabbed my work boot. He starts bawling. And I'm like, bud, daddy's, daddy has to go to work, bud. But like we woke up seven o'clock this morning, vroom, vroom, ride, vroom, vroom. <laughs> uh, so I got my bike. It was a bike I bought 2008, my pre-deployment present. I got a real nice custom note, Victory Vegas. And, uh, so we go out to the bike. He sits on it. I showed him where the horn is. So we we took a little ride. Nice. He he's just happy go lucky. Now he now he knows where the horn is. So your kids are your support system, and they don't even realize it. No, and so like I said, it's still one of those things we still have to reach out. Uh, I have a buddy that just got a charter boat, and so this coming weekend Saturday, I got a few of our VFW commander uh, Ken Corey and two other guys from our VFW. Uh, my buddy, he just reached out to me. He's like, Hey, do you want to go out in the boat? I'm like, well, heck yeah. He's a big salmon fisher out in the bay. And well, then he was like, Hey, if you want to get some more veterans, he's like, then I won't charge you. Oh, okay. So the guy's not even charging us. Wow. And, uh, so I talked to a few of our other guys and I'm like, Hey, I want to, I still want to get some kind of a gift for him. So, I mean, he's bringing four of us guys out there where where we don't even have to pay for anything. That's very cool. So, I mean, like I said, the biggest thing is reaching out and doing stuff. I mean, like coming that next day, going on a motorcycle ride. Got some guys that are all reached out, said, hey, we're going for a motorcycle ride. Do you have a veteran's hat? Yeah. I mean, I think the one I'm wearing right now, yep, my U.S. Army hat. Do people approach you ever, and is it weird for you if they do? I know, I especially like the Vietnam vets, I always go say thank you to them. But every once in a great while, I do have people that say thank you for your service. Yeah, the Vietnam situation... Um, I really think our country should be ashamed. Yeah. It really should. When our soldiers came home, they were treated so poorly Yeah, that I'm just disgusted with it. Now, obviously, I'm not old enough to remember it, but yep. I've been told by many Vietnam soldiers just how bad it was. I mean, yeah. my father, who was a Vietnam veteran, was told he should remove his uniform before leaving base. <laughs> it was that bad. My great uncle is a Vietnam vet. <clears throat> I'm sure he experienced it. Oh, yeah. That. And that's why I'm so happy now that people have separated the soldiers and the politics from each other. Um, 
the men and women who serve now should absolutely be looked upon as amazing people who are making a huge sacrifice, yeah. just leaving their families and going away for a year at a time. I, I'm so happy that people have been able to finally separate that and that people mm-hmm. appreciate the soldiers, I think, a little bit more than they used to. So I love that you go and shake the hand of Vietnam vets. And oh, I yeah. love it when my dad's got his hat on and somebody walks up and shakes his hand and thanks him. Like, I'm getting choked up just yeah. talking about that because I know what crap he had to deal with when he came home. Yeah. And so it's awesome to to know that that's not happening now. I just hope that we can get to a point now where our soldiers are taken care of physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, shaking a hand and saying thank you for your service is great, but shaking a hand and saying thank you for your service, how can I help you? That's what <clears throat> needs to happen next because there are too many men and women that are taking their own lives that are not able to get the tools they need to cope. The- VA likes to push pills too. That's that's just a temporarily thing. Like that was the first thing. Like when I talked to my physician, she's like, "Well, we'll put you on some meds." I'm like, "No, no." I've talked to a lot of other veterans that took a lot of the meds, and they said a lot of times it made things worse. And I'm like, eh, "I'm good. I'll go through the counseling." The thing about pills, and I've heard this from not just veterans but people who have gotten addicted to pills, is they make you lose all feeling. Mm-hmm. You may not have the feelings of suicide anymore, but you've also lost the feeling of joy. Yeah. It's gone. And so I, I've i always, whenever I've had surgery and been offered pills, I've always declined them. I, I just don't want to even risk it. I don't want to play around with it. So I can absolutely understand mm-hmm. why you said no. I mean, that's the biggest thing I push for anybody out there that's listening is get that help. There's so many resources out there. It's just a matter of if, like, nobody is going to do it for you. I think a good place to start is one of the places you've mentioned, your local VFW. It's just a matter of just finally contacting someone. And, I mean, other vets will always look out for each other. I love it. I I appreciate you chatting with me today and telling me your story, and I appreciate your service. Anytime, brother. Dude, it's been great talking with you. Heck yeah, man. Soldier Stories podcast, Aaron Heckel, a part of the 2127 Army National Guard, the Red Arrow Division, deployed twice overseas, uh, stationed in Kuwait and Iraq. Awesome, man. Thank you for sharing. Anytime, man.